try to like everyone, but there are definitely people where I'm like, wow, I've tried. I have asked good questions. I have tried to find similarities and we are just like radically different, core values different. Great, now I know. I now know that is not my person. Actually, what research finds is ambivalence in relationship is more draining than toxic. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. If you want the episode show notes for this episode, go to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this episode. In the show notes, you'll get the transcribed version of the conversation, the links that we mentioned, and so much more. Also, whether you are an OG journeyer or brand new to the podcast, I've created a free jumpstart guide to help you on your financial freedom journey. It includes the top episodes to listen to, stages to go through to reach financial freedom, resources, and so much more. You can go to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart to get your guide right now. Okay, let's hop into the episode. Hey, journeyers, welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast. I'm really excited to speak to today's guest, Vanessa Van Edwards. She is a multi-time best-selling author and renowned behavioral researcher on professional communication and leadership. More than 50 million people have seen Vanessa on YouTube and in her viral TED Talk. She's been featured in numerous publications, including Entrepreneur, CNN, CBS, and more. Her book, Captivate, has been translated into over 17 languages. Her latest book, Cues, Master the Secret Language of Charismatic Communication, was an instant bestseller. Also, fun fact, Vanessa and I shared the FinCon stage a couple years ago. <laughs> That's what she does. And so I'm excited to have you on the show, Vanessa. So welcome. Oh, it's so good to be back together again. I cannot wait to help and talk and dive deep. Yeah. So first of all, if you're watching this on YouTube, the video version of the podcast, you'll see Vanessa has a beautiful background. She's standing up. And I was just like, I need to up my uh, studio skills because I can definitely see why this allows you the setup to be able to express yourself on camera and to, to people who are watching. You know, it's so funny. So I study cues, right? Like what are the signals that we're sending? And what we don't realize is our ornaments, you know, our background, our setup, even the ratio of how much of our body we show it, it changes the way people perceive us. And so a couple fun tips, if you're thinking about your setup is one, you should measure the distance between your nose and your camera, and it should be at least or between 18 inches and three feet away. That is the sweet spot for socializing. So try to make sure that it's between 18 to three feet. So my nose, if you were to measure it, it's almost exactly in that little zone. The uh, preferred view is top of the waist to top of the head. So if you can show a little bit of your waist, it just helps someone feel like they are getting to know your emotional state and your gestures. And if you can stand, it's better for vocal power. I struggle a lot with vocal power. And so standing really helps me not go into my bad vocal patterns. So there you go. (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. So tips that I love. And it's funny. I have a vocal coach for speaking and he says the same thing. He says, and I recorded my audio book for my book that's coming out in a couple of months, but I sat the whole time and he was like, you should stand. And I was just like, oh, well, the studio was set up to sit. So I did sit. But I love that you just brought that up because I'm like, oh, he really knows what he's talking about. That's why he's always telling me to stand in interviews. <laughs> totally. Actually, when I was filming my audiobook, they had it all set up for sitting. And I begged. I literally begged. I was like, please, please, can I stand? Please, please, please. And um, they they figured it out. And so I was so tired by the end of my audiobook, but hopefully if you listen to it, it was worth it. That is so funny. All right. Well, now if I if I get that second chance at a book, I'll I'll do it. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you know, this podcast and my book and what we try to help people do here, it's reach financial independence, financial freedom. And so, yes, money is a big part of what we talk about, but I really love talking about the tangential things that impact our journey and our money. And a big part of that is how people perceive you, how you network. Your, to me, your net work is your net worth in some areas, in some aspects. And what I've found during my journey so far, even the corporate America and now being an entrepreneur is that the reason I'm able to get this far and I've gotten this far apart from the work I put in is it's because of the relationships I've developed and how people perceive me, whether that's my listeners and audience who take to me in some way and want to be on this journey with me or colleagues and people I interview where, you know, it it becomes like this environment of support in helping me reach my goals, which financially help. So I want to hear from you, Vanessa, more about that because I feel that so many people are missing that link with their financial journey and we need to talk about it more. <laughs> okay. I don't even think it's tangential. I think it is directly related and, and the research actually proves this. The research, research is quite clear that in everything from negotiations, so negotiating your salary, negotiating as an entrepreneur, raising capital, that people invest in people as much as they do ideas. And so we actually studied this where I was looking at Shark Tank. You know, Shark Tank is this show where entrepreneurs go pitch their idea and they try to get investment. It is very clear that sharks invest in people as much as ideas. And so if you are talking about any financial discussion, whether that's negotiations, getting buy-in, getting partners, even if you're selling yourself or your service, you're talking to clients or customers, people are looking at you as much as they're looking at their at the actual thing. This is called the halo effect. The halo effect is a very well-known research effect that if you are confident, competent, and warm, and it really is those three traits, confident, competent, and warm, it makes everything you touch look more confident, competent, and warm. So I, the way that I like to think about this, I go back to my old days. Remember the popular kids in high school? I wasn't one of them. Okay. I'm a recovering awkward person. So I watched the popular kids a lot. And one thing I noticed is that whatever they touched was cool. So like when the popular girl wore a, a blue scrunchie on her wrist, everyone else wanted to wear a blue scrunchie on their wrist. That a scrunchie was not cool. And then one day, cause she wore it, it was cool. We are still doing that as much as we don't like to admit it, that we're looking at what the cool kids are wearing, are doing, are touching, are smelling, are acting like, right? And that is because we want to catch, we want to catch it. So as an entrepreneur or a high achiever or a corporate professional, wherever you are, your people skills are like lubricant for whatever financial success you want. That could be negotiating a deal, getting a partner, asking for a raise. We need to make convince people that we are confident, competent, and warm 
that we are the perfect financial investment for them, or else it's almost impossible for them to invest in us. Someone may be listening and saying to themselves, well, you know, I, I don't know that, I don't know or think I have a problem with connecting with people, and they might not realize that's a blind spot. So how would one recognize that maybe that's something that's been holding them back? And then if you do recognize it about yourself, what are some things in terms of being awkward or not being able to connect with decision makers and stakeholders or people around you? How does one begin to make those changes? So one way to sort of self-assess in like a gentle way, right? Like as a recovering awkward person, I tend to social overthink. Like I have the opposite problem where I think everyone hates me all the time. Um, and so I have that problem. If you're on the other side, I, I, and you are like, I'm good. Like people like me. I am first of all, very jealous, very jealous of that confidence. And I love it. So I don't want to tear down that confidence, but I would invite just a gentle thinking assessment of, are you and your ideas sticky? So people who are really successful with people, and I only know this because as I begin to work on my awkwardness, and my confidence, all of a sudden I became stickier and I was like, Oh, this is what that feels like. Which is, if you're with someone, are they saying things to you like, I always love talking to you. After you hang out with someone, does someone say, I was just thinking about you. When you're on social media, are friends or colleagues or coworkers sending you links being like, this made me think of you. That's a sort of stickiness that gives you such an advantage. I did not have it for a long time. I am only in my recent years cultivating it of when someone is sticky, it means that people like spending time with you. They feel that you make them better. I think that that's like the really important one is really captivating charismatic people. They are not the people going in, impressing everyone, being the funniest, being the life of the show. No. In fact, and there's a myth about how extroverts are the only charismatic people. I think that ambiverts, introverts can be far more charismatic because they're really good listeners. And so it's that people are with you and they're like, I feel better with this person. I feel smarter. I feel more likable. I feel like I can be my authentic and true self. So that's the question I would invite you to ask is, do you think that people feel better around you? Are they actually leaving better than when they first came? And second, are people saying those sticky phrases to you? I love, love that. Now, so what if you self-assess and you're like, wow, actually, I don't think people feel that way. <laughs> what do you do? Okay. 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 This is it. This is my favorite place is you're like, Hmm, I think I could be stickier, right? Like that's a good place to be. I'm like, you, you're great. Like we, we know that. So the question is, okay, so how can we like show that better? So here it's a radically different way of thinking about likability. You know, I, I love how to win friends and influence people. It's a classic book but I have sort of a, an elevated take on it, which is, I think instead of going into interactions, thinking, how can I be more likable? How can I be more impressive? Which is what we tend to think, especially if we're talking about relationships and finances, right? Like you're going into an investor to try to get investment, or you're going into your boss to ask for a raise, or you're talking to a customer to close a deal. Those are interactions that are actually sales-based, right? Financially-based. We want to go in trying to be impressive, right? We want to go in and trying to sell our ideas and ourselves. It's really hard to be charismatic in that way, right? Like we as humans, we sniff it out. We don't like that inauthenticity. So instead, I want you to throw all that out the window. And I want to share a study that changed my life. This is a study that looked at highly likable people. In fact, it looked at the original likable people. It looked at the most popular kids in high schools. So what they did, very clever, is they 
analyzed thousands of high school students across a couple of different schools. And they wanted to look for popularity patterns. Were certain kids more popular and why? Was there any predictor? And they had all these hypotheses. So for example, do you have a a guess, listeners, and I want to ask you, what do you think made, was there a pattern of the most popular kids across high schools and grades? Any guesses? They played sports or were a part of a team. (laughs) Okay. So that was the number one hypothesis is they were the most athletic or they were like the best athlete. Uh, GPA was another one, like maybe they were the smartest. Um, uh, tall was another hypothesis, right? So there's all these, or like most attractive, right? Like that was some hypothesis. So there were popular kids who were athletic. There were popular kids who were pretty. There were popular kids who were smart, but that was not actually a predictor of popularity. There was only one single predictor that every popular kid across all the grades and across all the schools had, which is the most popular kids had the longest list of people that they liked. So one of the questions they asked was, how many people do you like in your school? And the most popular kids had the longest list, which meant they were not going around every day thinking, how can I be more impressive? How can I win more friends? They were going around thinking, how can I like more people? How can I like you? And how can I like you? And how can I like you? That is a very different way of going into interactions. And it changed my life because it took all of the pressure off of me trying to show something, do something, be something. It was like, how can I like this person more? And so if you're in that place, hopefully everyone listening is in some, somewhere in this place in every interaction, whether that's a sales interaction or a friendship or dating, I want you to be asking yourself, how can I like this person more? Which means we ask very different questions if we're looking for that kind of answer, right? We're looking for more me too moments. Like how can we share things? We're asking deeper questions because we're looking for reasons to like. We're also assuming the best of people. We tend to as humans, this is one of my negativity biases, which is that when I'm with someone and they behave badly, I define them as bad. We don't do that to ourselves. If we have a bad day, we think this was a bad day. And so thinking, how can I like this person more also disengages our negativity bias a little bit to think, ah, okay, they had a bad day. We'll try again. So it's a very different way of looking at people, but it's what I try to keep front of mind. I love that this study you said debunks a myth that I had, which is, was that sometimes you assume that the popular kids, like they don't like a lot of people, they're exclusive. That was uh, something I've viewed, or I thought that was how it worked as from the outside looking in. So that's interesting. Okay. It's so, it's so interesting to say that because I think that as humans, we tend to withhold our liking because we're afraid of being rejected. So we see like the two cool, I'm not going to try kids as like, wow, they're really not trying, right? Like they're so cool. They don't even need my likes. And I think that there are kids who are intimidating right? There are maybe people, so people who are intimidating, who don't try. And maybe that that triggers a sense of unease in us, but that is not likability, right? Like that is intimidation. That is maybe we try harder with them, which maybe can trick us into thinking they're popular, but they're not. And those are not my people, by the way, like this is also a really good moment to say like, just because you want to figure out how you can like more people does not mean you should like everyone, right? I try to like everyone, but there are definitely people where I'm like, wow, I've tried. I have asked good questions. I have tried to find similarities and we are just like radically different core values, different. Great. Now I know 
I now know that is not my person. Actually, what research finds is ambivalence in relationship is more draining than toxic. What that means is they actually looked at police officers and they studied police officers' relationships in precincts. And they found that police officers who had more ambivalent relationships had more workplace dissatisfaction, had lower happiness and more stress. Ambivalent relationships, especially in professional settings, look like this. Does she like me? Do I like him? Was that a, was that a neg? Did that, did they just kind of insult me? Are they supporting me? Did he just roll his eyes? Do I want to go to lunch with this person? Like that ambivalence of like wondering, are they really supporting you? Was that a secret insult? Was that passive aggressive? It is so draining for our social battery. And so it's better to be like, that is not my person. So police officers who said, that is not my person. We have very different values. I can work with them, but they are not my person. They had way higher work happiness, even if they knew they were working with difficult people because they were able to set boundaries. No, I'm not going to go to lunch with that person. Right? Like I'm not going to have a lot of chit chat with that person. We're going to get our work done and then we're going to move on. Right, right. I mean, and again, that can apply to every work environment. I talk about this when I used to work in corporate America and think about walking into the workplace and how if I thought about, if I thought everyone was an idiot or I came in with an attitude and and that person might not like really, I don't get along with them. But if I came in there in that way and treated them that way, everything would then start to rotate around that and the negativity would just happen versus how many people where it's like, yes, you have the right to feel the way you feel within the workplace and with difficult people. But is there a way to switch it and use it into your use it to your benefit? Where, you, like you said, it's not you're not focusing on things that are not working or the people that are not good. You focus on the people you do like and what is good. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's it's clarifying to know who your people are and who you're going to invest time into. And so yes, I want you to like as many people as possible, and I want you to always be searching for reasons to like. But also, when you've searched and searched and searched and they're not your person, know that they're going to drain your social battery faster than anything else. Like I'm an ambivert. I think most people are actually ambiverted. They're in between introvert and extrovert. So ambiverts can dial up into extroversion when they need to, but they have to have recharge time. So ambiverts, especially, we have to be so careful because we can dial up, right? Like we can make it work with certain people, but those people are going to drain us so fast. Hi, Jamila here, host of this podcast and author of the book, Your Journey to Financial Freedom, a step-by-step guide to achieving wealth and happiness. Just a few years ago, I was in a job I didn't like with a long commute, feeling stuck. I knew there had to be a different, better way. Then I found the pathway to financial freedom and financial independence. Today, I have more money, options, and freedom than I ever thought was possible. And in my book, Your Journey to Financial Freedom, I'll show you how you can achieve that too. You'll learn how to spend and save responsibly, all while enjoying that spicy margarita and extra side of guacamole. Determine where you are on the journey and evaluate your spending and saving goals accordingly. Quit your job, retire early, or reach financial independence. My book, Your Journey to Financial Freedom, A Step-by-Step Guide to Achieving Wealth and Happiness, is out now and available on Amazon, bookshop.org, Barnes & Noble, and more. You can even listen to the audiobook narrated by me. 
Go to yourjourneytofinancialfreedom.com to get a free bonus when you order the book and see all the places to buy it. Once again, go to yourjourneytofinancialfreedom.com. Let's talk a little bit about biases. And so a lot of what we're talking about is how we want to present to others. And I would like definitely like to get more into details about what that actually looks like for someone, like the cues and the, the actions you take. But when you're trying to impact or influence or connect with someone else, then that's how the person perceives you. And sometimes their unknown biases, their, their internal conscious or unconscious will impact how they see you. So what are your thoughts or what has the research shown on, you know, I can't change maybe if the color of my skin or being a woman and some people might view that a certain way and I can't prevent that, right? But how then do you see that in the work that you've done in terms of statistics for people who are navigating that and feel like, you know, maybe in certain situations, it's not a positive? Yes. Okay. So the research that I've looked at on this is called the stereotype content model. So if you want to dig into the research, I highly recommend it's very uh, academic, but it's great reading. Here's the summary of it. And here's exactly what it says, which is yes, people are stereotyping you. And yes, people have biases and those biases are going to change how you come across to them. They've even identified exactly what in the way that we look or the way that we are can change people's ratings of you. So in the stereotype content model, this is research from Dr. Susan Fisk. And I just love, love, love her work is she has found that 82% of our judgments of people are based on warmth and competence. That when we first meet someone, we're trying to judge very quickly. Are you warm, friendly, likable, trustworthy? Are you competent, capable, powerful, smart? Okay. Those are the two frameworks that whenever we're in a meeting, a video call, a phone call, an email, we're trying to judge on a LinkedIn profile. People are trying to figure out, are you warm? Are you competent? So in my teaching, I'm constantly teaching people, what are the cues of warmth and competence, right? There are 97 cues. How can you add those warmth and competence cues to your profile, to your meeting, to your emails? Here's the issue is when you walk into the room or someone sees your photo, your gender, your race, your culture can change right off the baseline how someone perceives you on the warmth and competence model. Let's take men and women, for example. Women are seen by default as higher in warmth. Men by default are seen as higher in competence. It doesn't matter what their actual warmth and competence are. Just someone knowing that I'm a woman is going to increase my warmth and competence ratings. So number one is I think it's really important to know what these biases are. Right. It's really good to know. Like I know that as a woman who's on the younger side in my industry. So in my industry, I'm doing a lot of speaking on stages. I'm young by two decades, right? Even though I'm 38, most speakers are in their fifties. Okay. So this is really good to know. Young people are also rated as lower in competence, not necessarily higher in warmth, but lower in competence. This is purely based on, right? People think of wisdom is acquired by age. By the way, that changes at a certain age. So in 70s and 80s, it goes down in competence, right? So, okay. So I know that I have some things working against me just by existing, just by my age and my gender. Knowing that though is very helpful. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. And it means I'm going to have to work harder to try to overcome other people's biases, which is extremely unfair, but at least I know it, right? And we can try to work to change it over time. Okay. So I know that I'm probably fighting my default is higher in warmth and probably lower in competence. I named my company based on that bias. 
The name of my company is Science of People. That is a high competence name. Science is a high competence word. People is generic, right? So when I'm introduced and someone says, Vesavan Edwards, founder of Science of People, I am working to add those competence cues right off the bat so people can hear, ah, okay, science. She's coming to talk to us about research and science. My introduction, I lower my warmth cues and increase my competence cues to show people, no, I, I have high, high competence as well. Do I like that I have to do that? No, but I would rather be in control of it. And so I think that what's really essential is knowing what biases are working for you and against you. And that's in the research. They're very, they've actually studied these, which is extremely helpful. And then deciding, okay, either I want to counteract it or I don't. You don't have to, right? You don't have to change people's opinions if you don't want to. So if you want to show up as you and be like, people can either decide based on my actual ideas if I'm competent, great. So that, that you can make that choice based on having the cues at your disposal to say, I'm going to add more warmth or more competence or I'm not. So let's get into some specific maybe cues that you can help people use to whether that I'm trying to think in the best regard, maybe whether it's in a corporate setting or I love that you just said, even just on a profile on online, because that's how a lot of us interact and see people nowadays too. Let's do verbal, right? So there's, so there's four channels of cues. There's verbal, that's the words we speak, as well as the words that are in our emails, chats, profiles, email signatures. Nonverbal, that's our posture, our facial expressions, our gestures, our movement in space. Our vocal power, which we talked about at the very beginning, right? The volume, pace, cadence, tone, the quality of our words, our accent, not the actual words being words we use, we use words we use, the words, how we say our words. And lastly, our ornaments the colors we wear, the way we wear our hair, what's behind us in a background, the setup. Those are four channels. That gives us a lot of opportunity, right? I like starting with wor words because it, we're almost always using our words. And nowadays, a lot of our first impression is happening digitally in an email or a LinkedIn profile. So words, this is the best and most powerful way to think about this. You can split words up into two buckets, warmth and competence. Warm words literally trigger feelings of warmth. They're words like collaborate, best, together, both, happy, wow, yay, fab, whoop. They're exclamation points. They are emojis. Warm, right? They literally trigger feelings of camaraderie and warmth. Competent words trigger feelings of wanting to get it done. They're words that are motivation-based. They're words like power through, brainstorm, efficient, agenda, task, deadline, right? Productive. Those are all high competence words in your communications, all of them, profiles, emails, you should have a balance of both. If we hit that balance of both perfect warmth and competence, we come across as highly warm and highly competent. So in an email, for example, if you have more than three exclamation points and more than two emojis, you're probably tipping into too high of warmth. Now, High warmth can be great. If you're in a collaborative setting, if you're talking to your girlfriends, you're with your kids, yes, we want a lot of warmth, right? Like that's good. You want to tip into it. But if you're emailing someone where you want to be taken seriously, you're trying to pitch an idea, you're looking for money, we have to have competence. And so that balance of taking away some of the warmth cues and adding in some of the competence cues, that's what we're constantly trying to do as humans subconsciously. I'm trying to bring that into the conscious realm. We're always doing this, right? Like, you know, if you send an email with too many exclamation points, you're like, hmm, sounds like I'm yelling at them. Right? We instinctively know this. And so I think we can actually consciously play with these so that in these 
modes, email profiles, it's actually reflecting our natural warmth and competence. And how would you say if you feel like you've not only maybe made the bad first impression or impressions in general, and you realize, okay, I can, I want to turn this around. (laughs) Is there a way to change people's perceptions if they had that first meeting or been around you for a while, but you are not making an effort to show up in a different way? First impressions are long lasting, but they're not forever. And so it is absolutely possible to change people's impression of you. If you've really made a bad impression, I actually recommend an impression reset. So like, let's say it's with your boss and like, it's just been like, like bad, or it's with an investor that you've like had bad relationships with. I highly recommend like literally hitting a reset button, having lunch, doing a meeting and being like, look, I would love to have like a fresh start with you. I've been investing a lot in myself. I'm learning a lot. I'm adding some new skills. 2024, I'm going to have a completely different approach to my relationships and my work. And I was wondering if you could help me with that reset. When you say things like that, it, it does help people go, ah, okay, let's get it all out. Let's figure it out. And I think the 2024 is like the perfect kind of way to do that. And so those resets, they really work. I love that advice. Okay, Vanessa, please tell everyone where they can find out more about the wonderful work you do, your book, and how to follow you. Thank you. So Cues is where I list all 97 of the cues I mentioned. Uh, it's a fun read. I use political examples, celebrity examples, uh, it, lots of pop culture examples. I also read the audiobook. And if you just want some free tips and my free tutorials, I do free workshops uh, four times a year and a video every week. So if you just want free tips, uh, my YouTube channel is Science of People, and I would love to help. Oh, thank you so much, Vanessa. This is wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Don't forget, you can get the episode show notes for this episode by going to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this. And you can still grab your jumpstart guide for free to help you on your journey to financial freedom by going to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart. If you want to support me and the podcast and love the free content and information that you get here, here are four ways that you can support me and the show. One, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen, whether that's Apple Podcasts, that purple app on your phone, your Android device, YouTube, Spotify, wherever it is that you happen to listen, just subscribe so you are not missing an episode. And if you're happening to listen to this in Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and subscribe there. I appreciate and read every single review. Number two, follow me on my social media accounts. I'm at Journey to Launch on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I love, love, love interacting with journeyers there. Three, support and check out the sponsors of this show if you hear something that interests you. Sponsors are the main ways we keep the podcast lights on here. So show them some love for supporting your girl. Four, and last but not least, share this episode, this podcast with a friend or family member or coworker so that we can spread the message of Journey to Launch. All right, that's it. Until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers. Journeyers.